You're listening to episode 7 of the Architecture and Anthropocene podcast brought to you by Triennale Milano, Italy's foremost institution for design and contemporary culture, with me, David Pleasant. Each episode will be bringing you some of the thoughts and insights of architects, designers, urbanists and a sound artist that have all passed through the Triennale's doors here in Milan. Now, our final guest in the series is James Binning, who has since 2010, together with a 20-member group, built a reputation for having a very fresh approach to architecture and the built environment. The Assemble Collective in London tries to address the typical disconnect between the public and the process by which places are made. Entirely interdisciplinary, Assemble cannot claim to even have one fully qualified architect in its ranks, but does claim those coming from the fields of set design, theatre and anthropology, amongst others. So nearly a decade after its inception, has Assemble matured a little? Yeah, so Assemble's a group of... The number's sorry. always tricky. No, the number no. is always tricky, yeah. yeah no. I mean, at the moment, it's I think there's 18 of us, um, okay. and 16 of those are partners. Uh, we've got two employees that recently joined, and so we're sort of working out um, a kind of longer-term partnership structure and how that all sits together. But yeah, since we started, really, there's always been quite a high level of cooperation and collaboration on projects, um, both across people within the practice, but also with other partners, kind of artists or builders or... Yeah, and I wanted um, to ask you, maybe groups. describe some of the different, um, yep. I was going to say trades. I don't know yeah, if that's yeah. really appropriate, yeah, but, well, but, but, but backgrounds. So two thirds of us studied architecture to various different levels. And the other third kind of have pretty mixed backgrounds. So somebody worked in uh, documentary film festivals and um, assisted a theatre director for a bit and studied English. Somebody else studied kind of politics and philosophy. and But really, I think over you know the last 10 years, everybody's sort of developed a, a specialism, which is quite broad and kind of reflective of the things that they've mainly been working on in practice or have grown to kind of develop a a more specific interest in so I don't think anybody's kind of too uh, you can too closely trace the sort of thread from somebody's degree in another subject through to the role that they play now they just become sort of assembled they're assembled yeah yeah, (laughs) into into something different yeah yeah well I think everybody sort of is capable or certainly on earlier projects which were smaller simpler and that we often had a more direct involvement with at multiple levels from kind of conception through to design and construction and and often then an ongoing role in the kind of management or oversight of projects everybody was kind of able to wear multiple hats whereas now when we're looking at kind of larger scale projects that require slightly more specialized skills or, or longer term research interests to be able to really contribute to in a way that's meaningful and skilled. That's changing a little bit. I got a little bit of your talk, your presentation outside, and you said the architect or the role of architecture or something along these lines, I might be misquoting you, the role of architecture needs to be repurposed or, or changed. It seems like that's what you are doing in your very kind of essence is repurposing architecture. Is that is that correct? I think predominantly what we're interested in is making cities or the built environment better and sometimes that involves building um, because there's an issue with you know the the building fabric of a place or you could do something 
differently to change the environment, which might then make a difference to a given place. But often that's, you know, almost by default, that's an expensive, quite fixed, quite deterministic way of approaching a, a situation. And, and, and often actually it's surprising how little rigor has necessarily gone in to reach the decision that that building a particular thing in a particular way to certain specification is the solution and so i think we're we're just sort of open to other tools being ways of improving the built environment beyond just building and partly that's about economy because you know as a small practice starting out when we did um there wasn't lots of resources available to make buildings but there was to do other types of projects and that was also partly internalized as a way of making our own business viable you know if we were involved in multiple aspects of the project there was a different economy to maybe a typical architecture practice where you're actually only involved in a relatively narrow part and so throughout all of the things there's a kind of attitude to risk and trying to take on you know a greater share of risk in projects and with that a greater share of responsibility and then we can have a stronger hand in the way that things turn out in a project that sort of leads me on to what I wanted to ask you about was if you think what your legacy is, or if I put it a different way, I, I remember looking back to 2011, I was, I was quite familiar with one of your projects simply because I lived quite near there, the, the, the folly mm. for, for a flyover, which was, you know, a wonderfully successful summertime project that, you know, I, I feel looking back then that, that, that there was a lot of optimism and um, almost euphoria. You know, it was the year before London hosted the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. You guys came along on the time. scene. It yeah. was a good time. We were nearly 10 years younger. <laughs> um, so important. So I just want to see whether you feel that momentum has been kept and whether you think, because of course the folly for the flyover is no longer there. It's just gone back to this kind of derelict, mm. wasted urban land now it almost feels like a dream do you feel that there's something there's a legacy there from from that project and and the other projects i don't think we were ever too hooked on there being a a direct legacy for those sites i mean some work did happen on that on that site and something was built like uh, the area as part of the project was made permanent and kind of power and things were put in but i think in a way that also comes back to some of the things we talked about earlier which were that you like the physical, the building isn't enough to be an agent of change by itself. You need other kinds of things to happen. We've been quite durable. You know, we've hung <laughs> around for a while considering all of the eccentricities of the way that we work together. Um, but it's quite, you know, it's not that dynamic, you know, having to make lots of group decisions and things, but it is quite stable. I think that's enabled things to kind of continue to move forward with some certainty and continue to kind of quite slowly grow and you know, because there's lots of us, we haven't had to individually define a position or take a stance in, in practice as a whole. We've been able to kind of test that out through lots of individual projects, and that's felt quite important. But I, I, yeah, I'm not so sure about the legacy of any of those temporary projects. I think they still retain a value as just propositional projects for looking at spaces like that and the kinds of opportunities that exist in the city that are kind of untapped or underutilized. And that has some value, even if that site specifically that building wasn't made permanent in some way but the approach Um, and the sort of yeah because it's an approach that i think we still find valuable not necessarily building a you know a a big public event space but that the idea of before you decide to make a fixed decision about the future 
there are you know you try to make a set of smaller moves or decisions which might help you test some kind of possibilities and reveal things which are you know surprising because at the end of the day we only have our own experience and, and education and you know world to draw upon in imagining what the future of any place might be and you know i think we're kind of interested in in an openness in that respect um of like trying not to be too prescriptive or deterministic or, or make architecture that's really highly authored you know but instead to sort of put in put things in place that can adapt are quite simple often can adapt over time can be added to that's quite different to a lot of architecture if uh we we wanted to kind of fix things or whether the, the environment the urban environment uh the way people live with the way humans survive the city we've never built as much as quickly and as similarly as ever before and like that is an extraordinary potential but just because you can't like we should recognize also that there's something innate in that speed which produces the kinds of uh you know new districts of cities which are i find like i think are consistently quite alienating and homogenous places relative to more historic areas and that's not a precondition of the things the way that necessarily the materials that they're made of or whatever but that they are much more prescribed and much more managed as public spaces than has ever really been the case in the city before you know and all of that has a really bears out in your kind of experience of these these places and yeah and and i and i think we're interested in the city as a system being something which is open and adaptable and consequently able to be full of surprises and maybe be the sum of it more than the sum of its parts whereas something which is much more kind of predefined predetermined and critically is designed to only support a set of things that somebody has already prescribed at the moment when the building is commissioned like that's kind of what most of our new public spaces are designed to be like so i think we're kind of not only suggesting that there needs to be a different method but that there might be some problem like we're also advocating for thinking of fundamentally like what makes a successful piece of city differently lots of big big uh, questions to think about but i think yeah. one thing that I, I took from that and maybe to conclude it seems maybe would you say assemble is more than the sum of its parts that's the idea yeah and, and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't you know but again then the point is that we are also in a position to change those things when we feel like something isn't working it is a good analogy in the sense that it's constantly being adjusted and remade as a practice and the things that it's orientated towards and the way that we work on projects changes all the time and that is a very close reflection of the method that we try to employ in projects and that's very different to a hierarchical process where you're always looking for directorial kind of direction and those kinds of things which yeah as a trend i think are quite it's they're quite inhibiting cultures you know like brilliantly talented people working in the best offices often working well within their limits because that's the the culture the culture is designed to produce something which is consistent with a couple of people's idea about what good is we are set up a bit differently to that that was james binning of architecture collective assemble talking to me david pleasant for this the seventh and final episode of the architecture and anthropocene podcast brought to you by triennale milano You can download this and every episode of Architecture and Anthropocene by going to triennale.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye.